With Shiyavah Dishmaya, let's continue on our lessons on our Tefillot and Davening to Hashem and Amidash, Mona Esrei, and all other Tefillahs that we have. And when we're speaking to the King of Kings, what they actually mean, what are we saying? So now let's go, we're in the Amidah, and now we're in the section of response to prayer, where we say, hear our voice, my Master, our God, spare us and have compassion on us, and accept compassionately and favorably our prayers. So, so here, for, for you are a God who hears prayers and appeals, and from your presence, our King, do not turn us away empty-handed, for you hear the prayers of your people, Israel, with compassion, you are the source of all, of all blessing, my master who hears prayers. And when we say hear, <clears throat> hear our voice, after concluding our daily petitions for our personal and communal welfare, we now ask Hashem to respond to all of our prayers, even the ones that we did not mention earlier, but have been much, very much on our mind. And we ask Hashem to please listen and respond to our pleas. And what makes this prayer very special is that we're not limited to the categories we addressed before. So while there are special themes, like for health and livelihood and spiritual growth, for example, among those blessings are uh, other related concerns, like marital issues, shalom bayits, finding the right soulmate, for sure, and success in life's challenges and may be kept in mind in this blessing. Response to prayer, Shema Koleinu is truly the all-inclusive blessing. So why doesn't this blessing begin with the words, hear our prayers? The word... Our voice is not about the prayer's wording. It's about the sounds of our voices. And to illustrate, on Rosh Hashanah, before we blow the shofar, the blessing recited concludes with the words, Blessed are you, who commanded us to hear the sound of the shofar. And so Rabbi Yosef, uh, uh, Joseph um, Soloveitchik offers a compelling interpretation concerning the sounds of the shofar, which may help us understand this phrase. The shofar sounds go beyond the verbal articulation of our feelings. And according to the Talmud, they represent crying and sobbing, feelings that cannot possibly be expressed in words. The guttural sounds of the shofar strike a chord, a wake-up call to repentance, and all who hear them. This then may be why our rabbis use the expression, hear our voice, instead of hear our prayer. Rabbi Soloveitchik suggests that even more powerful than the meaning of meaningful wording of a prayer is the manner in which it is expressed by our voices from the very depth of our being and when we say spare us and have compassion on us and this blessing we use two terms that seem very much alike we ask hashem to both spare us and have compassion on us and what's the difference between these terms and what does this mean to us so according to the malbim the term <coughs> spare us means that god should spare us even though we may not be worthy, because he recognizes within us some potential merits. So this means also that God should have compassion on us because he cannot bear to see us in pain and suffering. So many translate this word as compassion, meaning that God's love for us is so great that when we suffer, he, he empathizes with us. Etymologically speaking, the word is related to womb, just as a mother cannot tolerate the thought of her child being in pain, so too Hashem relates to his children with with concern that they will not suffer. And just as a mother gives total warmth and protection to the fetus within her womb, so too does Hashem provide us with all-encompassing love that shields us from misfortune. And when we say, accept our prayers compassionately and favorably, we ask Hashem to accept our prayers with compassion. 
We believe that Hashem will have mercy upon us because He feels our pain and does not want us to suffer any longer. The concept that God feels our pain is explicit in the words of Yeshaya. In all their sorrows, He was sorrowful. So the Mount Beam uses an insightful interpretation of this verse. Throughout all the sorrow and pain of our people in exile, God, Hashem, is like a father whose child's pain is like his own. So we should all, we, we also ask Hashem to accept our prayers favorably, meaning that Hashem should desire our prayers. And we ask God to accept our prayers favorably, but this translation is insufficient. What we really mean is to say that God should want and desire our prayer. So sometimes, without even realizing it, we drift away from God. We know in our hearts that we have not measured up to God's expectations, and we feel that Hashem does not want to listen to our prayers. And as God's children, we want to get closer again. But somehow we feel that God does not want to be closer to us. So what we don't realize is that God still loves us. He wants us to return to Him. He may very well give us another chance, even if we have failed Him. Even if we give up on Hashem, Hashem never gives up on us. And this is the essence of Teshuvah and Tefillah, which conceptually means return and acceptance. Hashem wants us to be with Him and return to Him no matter how far we may have drifted. And Hashem wants to hear from us and maintain a close relationship. So some have asked why we need to pray at all. <clears throat> Doesn't God read our minds, discern our thoughts and know what we need and want without us making any formal request? We have to understand that approaching Hashem is much more than asking Him for our needs and wants. It's about the realization of our own and adequacies is that the Almighty is the only one who can provide us with whatever we need. And of course, He can read our minds, but God wants us to approach Him to demonstrate how much we need Him. And so some commentators have raised a question about the seemingly light punishment of the snake after his sin in the Garden of Eden. For his incitement of Chava to eat from the tree of knowledge, Hashem punished the snake by declaring that he would crawl on his belly and eat dirt all the days of his life. All his food would be readily available at all times and he would never suffer hunger. So what kind of punishment is that? So because he would never suffer hunger pangs, he would never need to approach God to supply him with food. And he would have no relationship with his creator. And he is entirely cut off. A terrible fate. In contrast, Hashem wants, wants humanity to speak to him, to pray to him for all our needs. Realizing that our dependence on Hashem and expressing our needs to him develop a relationship with him. And another interpretation of this line is one given by Rabbi Yosef Soloveitchik. He understands that we are asking God to filter our prayers and to do what is actually best for us, even if it does not appear to, to us at the moment to be what we need. Rav Soloveitchik would use the example that while in Europe, he doubted for many years that he should have to come to America. And that prayer was not answered. And if it would have been, who knows what would have happened to him during the Holocaust. So when we say, for you are a God who hears prayers and appeals, What's the difference between prayers and appeals? It's in its essence. Prayer is primarily an intellectual outreach to God. It is a product of much thought and reflection. Prayer is a process of self-evaluation which takes place at the moment we stand before our Creator. And since our prayers were formulated by the men of the Great Assembly, they are compared to a sword that cuts through the heavens, enabling our prayers to be accepted. Appeals involve our emotions to a greater degree. And this expression of Tahanunim invokes the Tahanun prayer we recite on Mondays and Thursdays when we plead for God's mercies, despite our inadequacies. Tahanun means favor us, even though we are undeserving. And the word Tahanun derives from the, from, from, from the root 
um, um, meaning grace or hen, hen meaning grace or favor. We open our hearts and plead our cause. At the end, we emotionally turn to God to save us and our people, not for our sake and merit, but for His. Our appeals to God are heartfelt that we speak to the Almighty as the court of last resort. And this approach is compared to a bow and an arrow where the unique markmanship of each archer makes all the difference. So when we say, do not turn us away empty-handed, what does it mean to leave God empty-handed? It would mean that God has not honored our request at all. And after a momentous encounter with God, when we are not only prayed to Him, but appealed to Him for assistance, He gave us nothing. So we leave empty-handed. We are depressed, not only because God did not respond to our needs, but because God may have stopped caring about us, which is even worse. So Rabbi Shimon Schwab suggests that there are times when God has determined that it is in our best interest not to be granted our request. And God has other things in mind. And as difficult as this may seem, we pray that we leave Hashem with our faith intact, even though the answer to our plea is no. We remain firm in our trust in God and know that He's doing what is best for us. And so we should not leave feeling rejected or empty. Our relationship with God is as strong as ever. So one insightful explanation addresses this issue. Give us something and do not leave us empty-handed. Not because that, that will be a partial fulfillment of the previous brachot, but because that will be a fulfillment of the need to have contact with the Divine Spirit. The crucial word here is rekam, which means empty and not really empty-handed. Do not leave us empty, meaningless, lonely, and lost. The full sentence reads, do not send us from before you are king empty. We have come before you. Do not send us away without any sense of contact, without anything from you. And when we say, for you hear the prayers of your people Israel, and this blessing which concludes our daily request, we ask God to both listen and accept our prayers. Sometimes though, Hashem may not even listen to our prayers because our thoughts are elsewhere. Rabbeinu Asher asks, what's the value, what value does this individual's prayer have when he's not even thinking about what he's saying? So in addition, Hashem may not accept prayers of those who are hypocrites hypocritical people who present a public image of righteousness though in private their conduct is detestable if prayer is a service of the heart our words and conduct cannot be two-faced <clears throat> the closing section of our daily request is highlighted with all-inclusive plea to god to accept all of our prayers and interestingly we're describing hashem as you who listens to the prayers of your people israel does this statement imply that he's not listening to the prayers of other nations we know that one day the Holy Temple will be the place where all nations can pray. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Our vision of the future projects that all humanity will realize and know that you, to you every knee must bow and every tongue swear loyalty. Well, in fact, the Sephardic version of this blessing ends with the words, For you hear the prayers of every mouth. And the plain sense of this praise is that Hashem listens to the specific needs expressed by everyone. Jewish or non-Jewish, and focuses on the individual amidst the many. No matter how many people are praying together, he sees the individual and his unique neshama. So if a thousand individuals are praying together, Hashem accords each the special merit of the many while paying close attention to the thoughts and feelings of the individual. And the prayer of every mouth represents individual prayer at his best. Man is elevated above the animal kingdom with his power of speech. When Adam Arishon was created, the Targum notes that he was endowed with a speaking spirit. Speech signifies the highest spiritual level of man. And so it is only fitting that man prays to God with this special gift. The thoughts and whispers of the individual are the essence of personalized prayers. Our role model for personal pri personalized prayer is Hannah. This pious woman who lived when the holy Mishkan was in Shiloh. She was greatly distressed because she could not bear a child. In tears, she went to the Mishkan to plead to God for a child. And as Hannah prayed, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. 
And Eli, the high priest, thought to her to be drunkard, to be a drunkard, but she insisted that she was sober and replied that her actions were those of a terribly depressed woman. Hannah's actions teach us much about private prayer. We should move our lips to articulate the holy words, but not to speak loud enough so that our neighbors can hear. And what we have to say in prayer, our innermost thoughts and feelings should be shared only with Hashem. And so no sincere prayer goes unanswered. We cry to God, the God of our forefathers, the God, and God heard our voice. We often, we go through the notions of prayer without any emotion. We read the prayers from a siddur, matter of factly. We simply do not identify with what we're reading. The Chafetz Ayn points out that we really want our prayers to register in heaven. We have to cry out, not necessarily out loud, but internally emoting our feelings that arise from the words of the Siddur. When we do express our prayers, Hashem listens, not just to the words of, or, or, or our emotion. He considers our voice. It is one of gratitude and joy, anguish and pain, or longing and hope. Prayer is not only what we say, but it's how we say it. The Chafetz Ayn states, states that no prayer is ever rejected or lost. There are those who are privileged to have their prayers answered immediately and others after several days or weeks and others after years. So we may have learned that any prayer offered with understanding, feeling and humility may be acceptable to Hashem. But for reasons unbeknownst to us, his response may not be immediate. As hard as it may be sometimes, we should always feel assured that there will be a time when those prayers will be considered before Hashem in heaven. Baruch Adonai Leolam, Amen ve Amen.